well, please um, keep that open, uh, if you would, and we're going to look at those uh, verses for just a, a couple of minutes. Um, shall I pray before we, before we do that? Let's, um, let's pray uh, once again. Father, we thank you uh, very much for your word here in front of us. Thank you for the privilege of having your precious word uh, right in front of us, and we pray that you would teach us from it and to cause us to love the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, I don't know what you think of the things that um, change life forever. In the name of research, uh, you can look up the sort of lists of top inventions that have um, changed life, human life, forever. In the, f- the first website that I looked at once uh, claimed that fire was one of our greatest inventions. Uh, so I looked on a different website, because I'm not sure I'd trust one that counts fire as an invention. Uh, but, you know, the usual suspects, you know, the wheel, we wouldn't have got far without the wheel, quite literally. The cannon, the light bulb, penicillin, the aeroplane, the internet... All of them have changed human life somehow, kind of permanently. How the dishwasher got missed off is a mystery to me. Uh, An incredible stroke of genius, whoever invented that. But there are a million things, aren't there, that sort of claim on our screens or whatever to make a brand new you, Uh, from skin cream to cars to yoga. You know, you haven't lived until you've tried this. I wonder if there are moments or times in your life that you can pinpoint from which you came away changed forever. Someone or or something after which you will never be the same. I remember the uh, the first time I heard a Bible overview. If you ever heard a Bible overview, it's someone tracing through the storyline of the whole Bible from the beginning to end, showing how it all fits together, how it all comes to fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. That was totally life-changing for me. That was a transformational moment for me. If you ever get the chance, go and hear a Bible overview. Well, this morning we find someone coming face to face with the holiness of God and being changed forever. Let's uh, have a look quickly at the uh, the context of the story and and Jesus' uh, command. Uh, To set the scene a bit, um, we're early on in the earthly ministry of Jesus. The writer Luke has been telling us how Jesus has been going around the towns of old Israel. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been healing people from various terrible diseases. He's been casting out evil spirits. And so not surprisingly, of course, word about him has spread far and wide. Vast crowds of people are flocking to him. He says, Jesus, uh, back at the end, just at the end of chapter 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Uh, And so our reading that you heard this morning finds Jesus standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding round him and listening to the words of God. Jesus' uh, words are the words of God. That's important for us to notice, isn't it? Jesus' words are the word of God. But now the crowd gets so big big, that Jesus has to take sort of evasive action and um, sees a couple of boats on the shore. The fishermen are cleaning their nets, having finished their night's work. So Jesus gets into one of the boats there in verse 3, and he asks its owner to put a little way out onto the lake. And he uses the boat as a sort of floating pulpit uh, to, uh, to preach to the people on the shore. Now this boat belongs to a fisherman called Simon, Luke tells us. He first introduced Simon, uh, of course, who is, this, who is Simon Peter. Um, he first introduced him back in chapter 4. This man will, of course, later go on to be the Apostle Peter. 
And this is really the story, I guess, of how Simon Peter became a disciple, isn't it? How Simon Peter became a follower of Jesus. The next few chapters of Luke actually focus on how Jesus calls his disciples and what following Jesus is going to mean. So this is how Simon Peter became a disciple. Jesus comes up with actually a pretty weird idea. Verse 4, did you see that? When he had finished speaking, uh, he says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I don't know, but I think Simon would probably have been expecting sort of something like, you know, right, lads, let, lads let's, um, let's head back to land and get some kip. Certainly Peter's, uh, Simon Peter's response in verse 5 shows some reluctance to do what Jesus has asked. He says, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. They've been fishing all night and they've caught nothing, not, not a sausage, not a sardine. And they know, of course, that a good catch in the daytime is unlikely. They worked hard, they're tired, they've cleaned the nets. After their night's work, they're packed and ready to rest. And it may be perhaps that Simon isn't too keen on being ordered around on his own boat either. You know, after all, he and the crew are their professional fishermen around here. They're the ones that know everything to do with fish. They've, they've grown up fishing on this lake, of course. It's their whole livelihood. It's what they do. These are tough, sort of hairy, greasy fishermen. They're the professionals. Jesus, of course, is not a fisherman by trade. A carp- he's a carpenter turned preacher. <laughs> Does he really know? But because you say so, says Simon, I will let down the nets. Simon, of course, has already heard Jesus preach. He's seen some, him do some astonishing miracles. Jesus, in fact, healed Simon's mother-in-law from a fever back in chapter 4. Whether Simon was especially grateful for that particular miracle or not, history doesn't tell us. But he's seen and heard enough to know that Jesus is someone with unique authority. Did you see he called Jesus Master? His word is to be taken seriously. So because you say so, says Simon, I will let down the nets. Or literally, at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter hasn't come fully to understand it yet, I don't think, but he's hit on something extremely important there about following Jesus, hasn't he? About responding to Jesus rightly, but because being a Christian believer is about taking Jesus at his word, isn't it? At your word, says Simon, I will let down the nets. What Jesus says goes. At Jesus' word, we do what we might not otherwise do in our worldly wisdom, don't we? Like Simon Peter. At your word, he says. So, you know, Jesus, it doesn't really sit well with me to say that you're the only way to God, but because you say so, I will believe it and proclaim it. Jesus, it doesn't always make sense to me to give my money to gospel work because I I can't always see the results, but at your word... I will, because you say we're to store up treasure in heaven. Jesus, uh, sleeping with my partner before we're married seems fine to me, more or less the same thing. But at your word, I will wait to be married first, because you say that is right. 
You know, Jesus, everyone else is happy to make an illegal copy of that DVD. After all, it doesn't hurt anyone, does it? Everyone else at work is happy to get smashed at the office, do But at your word, not me. Or Jesus, to be honest, uh, half the time I frankly don't really feel like taking up my cross and denying myself to follow you, but at your word, I will. That's what it is to follow Jesus, isn't it? To take Jesus at his word. I wonder if you're like that towards the Lord Jesus. And uh, taking Jesus at his word always turns out to be the best thing to do. It's always the best thing for us. And we can see that if we move on in the story and uh, see what happens when Peter obeys the Lord Jesus. As there in verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And so this astonishing catch is made. And it's almost sort of comic, isn't it? They have to sort of make a mad dash uh, with their partners to the shore before they start um, sinking as both boats fill to breaking point. From nothing all night to a sudden sort of fish overload that nearly sinks their whole business, quite literally. Taking Jesus at his word was clearly the right thing to do, wasn't it? It turns out that he knew their trade better than they did. And again, that's important for us, isn't it? Because we can, we can slip into thinking, well, that's all very well, but, but Jesus doesn't know what's going on at home or what's going on at work. Jesus knows everything better than we do. In fact, he knows everything, of course, perfectly. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So we can and we must trust him in everything without question. We must take his word on everything. On work, on marriage, on family, on church. And when we do, we find it is the right thing to do. We, we, we flourish, don't we, when we take Jesus at his word. Because he's the Lord of life. And I think this suddenly hits home to Simon Peter. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the midst of all the chaos... Peter drops everything to fall down before Jesus. In fact, this becomes so important that uh, Luke doesn't actually tell us the rest of the story. In fact, it fades into the background. This is the main thing. Because you see what has happened is, is clearly miraculous, isn't it? And uh, Simon knows his Old Testament scriptures well enough. He knows that only God has power and command over the natural world like that. So he comes to this terrifying realisation. He must be in the presence of someone who at the very least possesses God's power and authority. See how he now calls Jesus Lord. Recognition of of sovereignty, of power. He realises he must be face to face, face with the holiness of God. And that is terrifying for him. Because... As a good Jew, Simon knows what happens when sinful people come face to face with God. He knows the prophet Habakkuk who said, Of God, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. Perhaps he's thinking of Isaiah. Do you remember what happened to Isaiah? (laughs) When uh, in in Isaiah chapter 6 where he has the, the vision and is ushered into 
the throne room of God. And he sees the angels proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He feels the room shake. He comes face to face with the holiness of God. And what does he say? Well, he, he doesn't really say, kind of, you know, get in, I'm hanging out with God. No, he says, woe is me. Woe is me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, Isaiah and Peter are right to react that way, aren't they? It is the right response to the Holy God. You know, when you shine a torch into a cellar, you suddenly see all the cobwebs and the rats and stuff, and they're exposed. And when we're confronted with God, our sinfulness is exposed. Exposed for what it is by his light. So it's no wonder, is it, that Simon says, go away from me, Lord. It's not that he's decided that Jesus isn't that great. Quite the opposite. He's realized his total unworthiness to be before Jesus. He confesses, I am a sinful man. He's not confessing this or that sin. He's not saying, depart from me because I've done some sinful things. He's not a murderer or a rapist or a thief. Rather, he says, I am a sinful man. A sinner confesses Peter through and through, body, mind, and soul, thought, word, and deed. He realizes he's utterly unworthy to stand before the holiness of God in Jesus. You see, when sinners come face to face with God, that's what happens. Because God is so perfect and holy and pure that when a sinner is confronted with him, That can only mean judgment, can't it? Consumed by God's holiness. Because did you notice Simon isn't the only one? Verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. (coughs) So they're all gobsmacked, aren't they? Simon speaks for all of us. Unless we realize our total and utter unworthiness of Jesus... We can't be his followers, can we? The first step to becoming a Christian is to know and to feel and to own that we're sinners. We're rotten through and through. We're rebels against the holy God who made us and we're worthy of his judgment and and heading for it. John Newton, the man who wrote the, the hymn Amazing Grace, he wrote that the first thing he knew during his conversion, he said, I was surrounded by a black unfathomable despair black unfathomable despair at his sin and I wonder if you've come to that point not to the point where you acknowledge you might have done a few things wrong to the point where the Lord Jesus has made you realise you are sinful and that you have no right to stand before him If you think you're good enough for Jesus, then you can forget it. Because that shows you think you don't need him. God won't do anything with people who think like that. Actually, it's vital for us as Christians as we go on too, isn't it? We need to remember that we're sinful, that we are not worthy of the Lord Jesus. We need to remain humble before him if we would keep going and keep growing. We've got to allow his perfection to expose us time and again. That's why we confessed our sin earlier, isn't it? To acknowledge that we're not worthy of the Lord Jesus and ask 
for his grace. Come to repentance time and again. I hope you know that day by day. You're not worthy of Jesus. Don't forget it. We have to come to that point first because it's now, isn't it, that Jesus can comfort Simon and commission him to serve him. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Somehow Jesus can assure Simon that everything's okay. You don't need to be afraid of being in my presence. That must mean that somehow Jesus is able to deal with this problem of of Simon's sinful nature. He's not saying Simon is wrong to be afraid. That's the right reaction. He's saying that Simon doesn't need to be afraid. It's a great assurance from Jesus, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Do you know what it's like to be told you don't need to worry? I had an old housemate once who who used to... um, Say all the time, you say, don't worry, I've got this covered, which invariably meant it was all going to go horribly wrong. And there's one particular annual church meeting that will live long in many people's memories. Or when as a child, you know, you wake up sort of afraid in the night and, and your parent says, don't worry, I'm here. Everything's okay. Jesus, the holy God himself, assures Simon that he does not need to worry. And of course, that is what's going to take the Lord Jesus to the cross to sort out that problem of our sinfulness by taking that holy wrath on himself in our place. Making it possible for us to be in his kingdom. That's why Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've got this covered, he says. More than that, he says, from now on you will catch men. You're, off, you're going to work for me. You're off to work for me to bring people into my kingdom. And if the catch of people that comes from Jesus' command is anything like the catch of fish that comes from Jesus' command, that's going to be something quite special, isn't it? Simon and his companions, of course, will go on to be the, the apostles, the first leaders of the church. From now on, says Jesus, their lives are going to be utterly different. You can't encounter the Holy God and come away unchanged. It's transformational. And so, of course, verse 11, they pull up their boats on the shore. They seem to have made it back in one piece. They uh, pull up their boats on the shore and they left everything and followed him. He's shown them, hasn't he, that they can trust him. Absolutely. They can trust him as they follow him. And so they do that. They literally drop everything and follow the Lord Jesus. And surely that is the only right response, isn't it? If Jesus, the Holy God, who, who tells us that we can follow him, then to drop everything and follow him is, is what we must do. Jesus is, is awesome. We can see that, can't we? Jesus is, is clearly the Holy God of the Bible. He's the creator of Genesis 1. He's the Um, the one who is the ruler of all things. He's the I am of Exodus 3. He's the the holy God of Isaiah 6. The God who gave the law and sent the prophets. The God of salvation and and judgment. Jesus is the God of the Bible right here before us in, in Luke 5. He's awesome. And he's awesome because even though he's that God, he's the one who came into the world to save sinners. 
I wonder if you noticed that Jesus is the initiator throughout all this story. It's Jesus that asks if he can use Simon's boat. He's Jesus that tells Simon to put further onto the lake. It's Jesus that tells Simon to put down the nets. It's Jesus that tells Simon he doesn't need to be afraid. And it's Jesus that tells Simon he's now on active service. Jesus is the one in control here. He comes to seek out sinners to save them and commission them to serve him. Jesus is is awesome. I wonder if you are in awe of Jesus. Are you in awe of Jesus? Are you, as it were, with Simon Peter on your knees before him, recognizing who he is? Are you in awe of him, ready to do as he says? I wonder when the last time you simply marveled at the Lord Jesus was. If you're not in awe of the Lord Jesus, why not? It's high time that you were. Be in awe of Jesus, because he's awesome. And if we're in awe of him, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to drop everything, aren't we, and follow him. That's what it is to be a Christian. <laughs> if you realize that, take him at his word, drop everything and follow him. That doesn't mean, uh, does it necessarily, I have to give up my home, my family, my job and money and car. doesn't mean I have to necessarily physically walk away from everything I have. No, not necessarily. But it does mean, doesn't it, that all of my life now is under the lordship of Jesus. My home and my family, my job, my money, even my car, my time and my energy, my emotions, thoughts, words and deeds, all of it is now under the lordship of Jesus. Everything I am and everything I have goes to his service and whatever he says, I will do because he's promised that I can follow him. That I don't need to be afraid of following a holy God like this because he can deal with my sin. And now he's going to wonderfully use me in his service. There you go, that's the best thing you can ever do, isn't it? To follow the Lord Jesus who can somehow assure us we don't need to be afraid of him because he's going to deal with our sin. So you see, Peter comes face to face with the holiness of God and is changed forever. And I suppose if we know that if in Jesus we encounter the holiness of God, then we're going to be changed forever as well, aren't we? And uh, shall we take a moment to pray about that? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We praise you that uh, he is the God of the Bible right here before us. We praise you that he's the awesome, holy God. And yet we praise you that this awesome, holy God came to save sinners. We praise you that... Um, though we ought to be like Simon Peter on our knees saying, get away from me, Lord Jesus, for we are too sinful for your presence. We praise you that he can assure us we don't need to be afraid because he's going to deal with our sin. We praise you that that took him to the cross to mean that we can follow him, we can enjoy his presence, and we can be fruitful for him. And we pray that you'd help us. Pray that you'd help us drop everything to follow him. We pray that you'd help us to take him at his word day by day, And we pray that you'd help us to marvel at him and to love him and to rejoice in him for his glory.